0: Everybody knows that caregivers have to take care of themselves. And we're talking in Ephesians about forwarding God's care, that God has given his care to you, that he loves you. He loves you passionately. I hope you personally experience the love of God in this worship hour. Do you know God loves you? He does. He does. He's doing everything he can to care for you. And you realize that when you meet him and know him, read his word and understand his heart. And his heart for you is that just as you have received his care, that you will pass it on to others. And so the caring life is the life God calls us to. That's why Jesus summarizes all the law and the prophets everything you're commanded to do with two brief commands, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law and the prophets, these two succinct commands, and they are the call to a caring life. But if you're a caregiver, you must take care of yourself. Somebody mentioned to me Actually, one of our missionaries mentioned to me something that she heard in the sermon I preached about the law of 90%. And I don't remember specifically calling it that, but I know what she's talking about. It's those 10 lepers that Jesus healed, and only one came back to give thanks, you remember? And Jesus asked, where are the rest of them? The truth is that if you give your care, based on the thank you you anticipate, you're going to be disappointed. In almost every realm of life, God continues to care for every person on this planet, but how many give thanks? In fact, Paul talks about the sin of ingratitude, and I think it plagues the planet the sin of ingratitude. We're not grateful to God. We're upset in the midst of all our blessings. God continues to send the sun, the rain, our food, care for us in so many ways that we don't deserve, and yet we have an ungrateful heart. Well, that's what you're going to encounter out there giving care in your family, in your neighborhood. You, as a person who cares, cannot depend on The feedback from those you're caring for to sustain you. So how are you going to be sustained? You're at risk. We're going to find that in Ephesians chapter 6. By the way, some of you knew Randy Gregson. He was a distinguished gentleman who sat on the back row of this section right here many Sundays. He was a member of our church since 1949. He died early this morning, about 3 o'clock. Went to be with Jesus. Randy cared for his pastor. I'm going to miss him. I think I'm going to miss him more than any of you will miss him. Because every Sunday when he was here, he'd come up to me. And he was tall and a great tennis player in his prime. Actually, if I understand, he, he ran the U.S. Open at least once. And he'd take my hand and he'd say, I love you. And I'm grateful for you. And you're doing great. And he'd always encourage me, whether the sermon was good or bad, you know. (laughs) I went to see him in hospice. And he couldn't talk. It just came on him suddenly. He was here four weeks ago. And then all of a sudden, he was in hospice, and I went to see him, and he couldn't talk. But I knew from his eyes that he recognized me, and he was trying to talk to me with his eyes. I said, Randy, I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to tell me that you love me, and I'm doing great, and you're grateful for me. I know what you're trying to say, because you said it over and over again. And he was a man who lived a caring life. That's how I experienced him. All right, now. Those of you who aspire to follow the Lord Jesus in this kind of life, turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And I'm going to read for you a famous passage, but I want you to see it in the context of a person seeking to give care. And by the way, care is so transformational. I hope that you will choose to care because it will be like an antidote to depression, frustration, Anxiety for you to turn your attention, even in your pain and trouble, to the condition and life of another who needs you is so important to your health and well-being, for you to focus on the other, even when you are in pain is to follow the Lord Jesus who took care of His mother and His beloved apostle even as He was hanging on the cross and forgave the sinners, thinking of others even when you are in pain. That is the Christian model. That is following Jesus, and that is liberating and healing in your life. So I hope that you aspire to be somebody who cares and gives care to those around you. Look at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. You're not going to be able to do this on your own. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's wicked and deceitful. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Don't make that mistake. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with a belt of truth buckled, Around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I'm going to conclude this series next week with a sermon on prayer. Prayer care. As that starts verse 18 and continues on to the end, okay? So we're going to talk about prayer care next week. But this week, the battle is spiritual. Lock it down, get it in your mind. You're fighting a spiritual battle. Sometimes you're under the illusion that it's people you're fighting. And that people are the enemy. But it will really help you at work and in your family to realize this truth. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's not our struggle. It's not our fight. You know you're in a fight, but it's not with people. This is going to help you if you mark it down in your mind and stop dealing with people... In your mind is the enemy, and start dealing with the spiritual forces that are coming against you. You wrestle not against flesh and blood. What are you fighting out there at work in your family? What's the battle about? It's about principalities. That's a simple word, RK. It's used in a lot of places in the Greek. I think it's talking about the rulers that are in the spiritual realm, Satan. And his helpers. There's a spiritual world that you can't see. Jesus talked a lot about it. That's where the real battle is. In the world that you can't see. You can't touch with your hands. But you're dealing with it every day. And you win or lose based on what happens spiritually in your life. The principalities and powers are often linked together. Exousia is just a regular word for authorities. Like it's translated here. But that's what you're dealing with spiritual authorities that have come up against you. And they are powerful. And Jesus knows that they are powerful. He's not trying to deceive us that we're not working against powerful spiritual forces in our family, in our city, and at work. We are. We're not fighting flesh and blood, we're fighting the principalities and the powers. And the rulers of this darkness, there's a darkness on the world, an ignorance of God and His nature and what He's up to, and you're battling that every time you go into the world. This world is not your home. Now that you're a believer, you are part of the family of God you're in an alien environment you need a portable life support system to stay breathing in this world you got to put your mask on this atmosphere is deadly that the devil controls and evil controls and the and the darkness that has settled over our planet so it is those forces of darkness that you battle we're battling that in our city. I don't know a lot about our new mayor, but I heard him say something I agree with. He said, the only way we'll ever get peace in our streets is through God. Well, amen, Mitch. (laughs) That's true. Now, we need to have the police and all that. But real peace is a spiritual gift from the Father in your relationship with him. And let me just stop for a moment and ask you. Do you have peace? See, your battle is spiritual. Spiritual wickedness in high places is the last of the four things he mentions that we're battling. Principalities and powers, powers of this dark world. Spiritual wickedness in high places. Sometimes those high places are high up in the company. They are people with influence and authority who are operating in spiritual ignorance. There's damage done to the world and to people. And sometimes it's systems that grind people up. And we want to get mad at somebody, but we don't really know who to get mad at. Is it the president of BP that you get mad at or who? For the spill in the Gulf? Well, it's hard to know. I mean, it's all, all the systems. Sometimes we're battling systems, and if you're an educator and you're seeking to bring a change in Orleans Parish where we've had such a difficulty getting quality education, let me just tell you, you're working against the system, against the culture. You hang in there, okay? You be patient. You just finished a tough year, sister. That's okay, you're on the front lines and the battle you fight is spiritual and God is with you in your classroom as you seek to bring his grace and peace and his knowledge to the classroom. Brothers and sisters, God is unleashing his church in the world and he knows it's a tough assignment, but let's not get confused about who we're fighting. We're fighting de- the devil and evil and sometimes evil desires in our own heart. Sometimes the battle is right here, isn't it? It's right here. And that personal battle is vitally important that you win. So, in order to win, put on the whole armor. Put on the full armor. That's what he says. we got to get you dressed. All right? It's Sunday. It's worship. we got to get you dressed. you got to put a new suit on as you go out into the workplace and all the places where you do battle and you feel like you're doing sometimes hand-to-hand combat with the enemy. Sometimes I tell the staff that I feel like I've been doing hand-to-hand combat with the enemy today. feel like I've been right in his face and he's been in mine. And sometimes that's how it is, okay? So we got to be dressed for battle. And when Paul starts talking about putting on the full army, he's talking about five pieces of armor that are really pretty much defensive. And I want to show them to you, okay? Here's the first one, verse 14. Stand firm then. The whole point is that you stand in the midst of the battle. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. All right. The truth is Jesus, okay? And Jesus permeates this passage. And you can't really put on the full armor if you don't know him, okay? But I think that truth as it is used here goes back to Ephesians 5, 9, just like righteousness does next. And it's a very practical challenge for you to be an honest person. For you yourself not to deal in deceit. We are battling the wiles of the devil, the devil's schemes. He loves to lie. He's a liar from the beginning. If you're going to do battle in the darkness of this world, you can't be a liar. And the lie will undo every piece of your garments. Your armor's not going to stay on. The belt of truth holds it all together. It gathers it all together. Oftentimes in Scripture, they talk about girding up your loins. What they're talking about is those flowing garments they used to wear and how the runner can't run if he's impeded by those so he's got to get rid of those weights that so easily beset him and you can't fight if you're all tied up in this loose clothing so you get your belt and you gather it up. And being a person of truth is how you keep it all together. And the lie that you sow will bite you in the end I guarantee God's people can't depend on the lie to make progress it matters how you do your battle in the world we are not a people who justify the end by the means if I tell this lie just see how much good it will do Your loins have to be girded with truth. You got to have the belt of truth on if you're going to win this battle. Think about it in your family. I tell you, once you get the reputation that you're a liar, what influence can you have? When I know somebody's lied and they come and tell me something, do you think I stand in that? You got to be careful if somebody's a liar. If they'll lie about one thing, they may lie about the other. The chief of police said he's got a zero tolerance for lying. Ronald Surpass, he told us in this meeting, he said, I fired somebody in Nashville because they lied about being late for work. And the man took it to court and took it to the highest court, and he was vindicated in firing that man for lying. And he said this, if a man will lie about showing up late for work, He'll lie about where the drugs were or what happened to that crime scene. See, your lie is not protecting you. It is poisoning you. And it is taking away your moral authority. You cannot live in the lie and do battle with the enemy. That's why it's mentioned first. You've got to be a person of truth and integrity to do this fight. Next, you've got to have on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, we stand in imputed righteousness. We are not self-righteous, okay? We don't make our righteousness. We don't sew that white garment that's going to uh, be given to us when we get to heaven. Jesus makes that, all right? And the only way to stand before God is to have his righteousness given to you. Having said that, let me say, doing what is right is vitally important, and I think this breastplate of righteousness includes both knowing that you are saved not by your good works not by your deeds not by doing what is right that is not the source of your salvation nor is the source of your approval from God that comes only from Jesus who died on the cross for your sin and it is by grace you are saved but you must live what you profess and doing the right thing even when it is a difficult thing, is what Jesus showed us on the cross, and it's what wins in the battle with the principalities and powers. You defeat the rulers of the darkness of this world when you do what is right. Even to your own hurt, you do what is right. Mark it down you will stand with a tremendous moral authority in your business, in your office, and among your circle of friends when you tell the truth and you do what is right. The Christian soldier wears these two pieces of armor every time he goes out into his world. You can't stand firm without this. Now look further. And your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Feet are a big concern to the soldier. You've all read about Valley Forge and how their feet were so frozen and and all the difficulty. Battles have been lost because of the feet. And in Roman times, they'd put little sticks in the ground. They were sort of like ancient landmines. And when a soldier stepped on that sharp stick, he was debilitated by the wound to his foot. So the Roman sandal that Paul observed every day, probably as he wrote this, he might have seen a Roman soldier just sitting there writing this out. They had special sandals that were very tough and had a had a hard sole that would turn a nail or a stake. They put cleats on them, sort of like golf shoes, all right, so that they could stand and get a grip in the turf. You've seen the picture of the the soldiers where they have those leather thongs that lace up around the ankle and then up on the calf to hold that sandal in place. Very important. Have your feet covered as a soldier. What you wearing on your feet when you go into your world? You're wearing the preparation the gospel of peace affords. There are two ways to understand preparation here. It is something that you are always prepared to do or it is a preparation that is given to you as a soldier, and I think both are true. God prepares you for spiritual battle through his gospel, the good news of peace. Brothers, what have you got to tell the world and do in the world if you don't have good news? Got any good news to take to your world, to take to your office? Know any good news? Know anybody that needs good news? Do you know a world that needs good news? You are prepared for the spiritual battle with the good news, and it's good news of peace. The world needs peace. They long for peace. They want inner peace. They want an end to conflict. God is not likely to take all strife and conflict out of your life. It is likely that even adhering to the gospel is going to bring some discord into your life from those who love you. Sometimes it happens just because you are a follower of Jesus. But this gospel is a gospel gospel of peace because it fixes the place where the greatest peace is lacking and the greatest peace is needed and that is in your heart. To be people of peace is to follow Jesus, to share his demeanor and his spiritual condition. Jesus himself is our peace, Paul says in one place. He has broken down the barriers. Have you got peace? You got good news, have you got peace? Peace is not a pill that I could distribute at the doors when we leave. If so, I'd get a whole bunch of them and give them out when you leave. Because so, I want you to have peace, and I know you want it. You don't want to have your stomach all torn up and all the anxiety and the worry that comes upon you. And if I could get a pill that would solve that, you know, I'd just distribute it. But it's a daily walk with God that brings you peace. Can you handle this now? It's you praying, reading the scripture, walking with the Savior, doing the disciplines of the Christian life that bring you peace. It's you practicing the caring life. It's you living the life of love. Peace is a product of following Jesus faithfully. And the good news that he's given us is a good news about peace. When you go out into your world, your feet are best protected and you have the gospel of peace on them. Now, spoken in your world, the gospel is powerful to bring peace, and we ought always be ready, be prepared to give anybody an answer who asks us about the hope that is in us. We ought always be ready so our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel because we are spiritually prepared to deliver the good news to a world, and we are walking in peace. And we have a readiness to share what Christ has done with us. Your feet fitted with the gospel in addition to all this. It's like, and over all this, take up the shield of faith. The shield was sometimes as big as the body of the warrior. You got a shield. A shield protects you from something. It protects you from the fiery darts of the evil one. Did you know he's firing on you? Be aware. You're a target of the enemy. Can you receive this? Can you receive this? Maybe you've experienced it and you know it to be true. You're a target of the enemy. He's after you. Now, here's what he's firing. He's firing arrows... ...that are blazing, okay? These are fiery darts. They covered their shields... ...and all the shields... ...many of the shields at that time were wooden. They covered them with leather... ...to make them more fireproof. It's interesting to me... ...that the shield of faith... ...extinguishes... ...fiery darts. It puts them out. It doesn't just stop the arrow... ...it puts out the fire... It's the shield of faith. Now, I want you to pull back for a minute and think this. How important is faith in your life? Faith is two things, simple shorthand, trusting God and entrusting yourself to God. How important is faith in your life? Are you a person of faith? There are three things I think the devil always does. One of his fiery darts is he accuses you. He's the accuser of the brother. He accuses you for being unworthy. He accuses you for pretending to be spiritual. He, he accuses you about your walk and going to church. He accuses, he's the accuser of the brother. Sometimes I have to just stop and say, I'm not going to receive that because I know I'm a child of God. And I'm being falsely accused. The devil accuses. He also discourages. He says, you're no good. You don't deserve the gospel. You don't deserve to be at church. Who do you think you are? And then he says, you can't do this. There's no way you can do this. You're not going to be successful. He discourages you. One of the things I pray for, for you every time you come in this building is that you will leave encouraged. I'm depending on all of you to get that done for each of you, okay? I want you to leave encouraged because I know you got the battle out there. And when you come in here, I want you to experience faith and hope and love and joy and people who are on your side and people are saying, yes, God is able, and we can get through this. I want you to be encouraged. Do not think that you, as an individual believer, have the gift of discouragement. You do not. You are called to encourage just like me. Everybody needs to be encouraging. The devil discourages, and then his third dart is he entices us right at the point of our weakness. He knows our weakness and he aims at that weakness. Take up the shield of faith. You extinguish those flaming arrows of accusation, discouragement, and enticement and temptation with that shield of faith. Take the helmet of salvation. You're saved, it protects your brains. The helmet protects your brains. Salvation is about your relationship to God and how He rescued you. Everything you see and hear in your world, you filter through the salvation you have in Christ. You don't set that aside. I don't care what laboratory or classroom you might be in. The truth that is in Jesus is relevant to where you stand and who you are. And you must integrate it into the whole that you're part of. I know some people who are in science or medicine... Or other places who are compartmentalizing their life. And they've got a faith in Jesus over here in a little box. And they never let it out because it doesn't seem to fit with what they do every day. And that's the wrong way to conceive how the truth of Jesus works. The truth which is in Christ is permeating universal truth. It threads through every reality there is in life. It is all-encompassing and it is the foundation for every other truth which we know. It is Jesus who sustains all things. He holds them together by the word of his power. And what we must do in all disciplines is integrate the faith that we have in Christ and the truth which is in Jesus with our math and our science and our history and our language and all other disciplines in life. say, well, how do you do that? Fundamentally, you stand in Christ, trusting in him, and believing that God created the world and that he is good. He has spoken through his son, and he is present to save. You have the helmet of salvation, which protects your brains. If you don't do this, you're going to buy into a carnal worldview. You see the world most accurately when you see it through the eyes of faith. When you see it through the eyes of Christ, that's when you see the world most accurately. That's why when you get in the place of prayer, peace descends on your soul. Because you get your world ordered like God orders it. And you experience your world somewhat like God experiences it when you're in prayer. Peace descends on your heart because the big things that so trouble you are now understood to be little things in the eyes of God, and He can take care of that. And the big things reassert themselves in the place of prayer. You see the world most accurately when you're seeing it in the place of prayer through the eyes of faith. No matter who you are or what you do, this is truth. Wouldn't it be if God made the world and he is a good God who loves us? That is fundamental, amen? There's nothing bigger than that. There's nothing more important than that. And it is the foundation for all that we learn. In grad school, all that we know in our disciplines, we stand in Christ. The helmet of salvation protects your brains. And then you take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the rima of God, God's Word spoken in your life. Jesus, when he was fighting temptation, said to the devil, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every rima that proceeds from the mouth of God. You live, you win, you fight through the word God has spoken. It is a powerful word, and you unleash it in your world. It's not just the word that is written, which you read. It is the word which is spoken in your particular battle the sword of the spirit which is the word of god i observed with janet here two or three weeks ago that the great action uh, warriors in the movies mel gibson and all those guys have a great shout you ever notice that They can't get those parts unless they can really belt it out. Freedom! You got to have that in you. You don't get the part. You got to have that in you too. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Sometimes you need to get in the middle of your exercise program and just say it to the world and the powers that be, and let it hit your own ears. The God who loves you, the word that upholds you, the strength of that word. I call you to faith in Christ. You can't put the warrior's garments on. You can't wear the weapons without knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord. Let's bow together. Father in heaven, we want to be victorious in the battle you've given us to fight. And we all have the personal battles that are ours on a daily basis. And Lord, help us to fight the spiritual battle. Help us to know that it's of the Spirit. Give us the strength to stand. Lord, we need your power to do it. Help us not try to do it in our own strength. Lord, help Give us the wisdom to wear this armor, truth and righteousness, preparation of the gospel, the helmet of salvation, to wield the sword of the Spirit. Lord, that we might be victorious in what you've called us to do. I pray for people who have not trusted you as Savior, for those who have been saved but never baptized, never joined with the church. God, do your work in us, we pray. Help us line up with your church and your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.